Hello, um, welcome to Venice on Films. This is the podcast where we discuss film and television news. This is episode 22. I'm Vanessa, obviously. Um, what do I want to start out with this week? Well, I actually just finished House of Cards. And, um, those of you unfamiliar, I literally started that, like, half a year ago. So, it does take me a really long time to watch shows, just because I think I'm- Again, I think I am more of a movie person, but it also, like, I just watch so many films in between watching shows that it takes me a lot longer to finish shows than most people. Um, I don't know. That's just the way um, I am regarding that type of thing. Also, just want to preface, my computer is like, she's going through it, so there might be some audio issues, skipping, and since I'm not really editing this and listening back to it, you're gonna be getting what you're getting like sorry um but also like if you hear 90 day fiance in the background of this video it's because like my family's watching it right now um <laughs> so anyways um yeah so i finally finished house of cards honestly like the ending did feel very fitting but my problem with it is that it was done in such a goofy way that for i think the last season just kind of like went I mean, the the entire show was like, what will never happen? That's what we're gonna do. So this whole the whole thing of like, um, Frank and Claire both being like president and vice president at the same time, like that that's most likely never gonna happen. Um, but um, like like a husband and wife or whatever, like uh, like a partnership being president and vice president that yeah that most likely will never happen but they kind of just like threw darts at a board and were like okay we're doing this idea and i respect that but like i think the final season the fact that like frank for obvious reasons wasn't in the show um there was just something about it that felt so out there um kind of like the way Bo and yang and matt rogers talk about the morning show is how i felt about the last season of house of cards um and I think there was, like, an over-reliance on uh, Claire's narration or Claire breaking the fourth wall. Like, it was just so much to the point of, like, I I know that, like, they did use it a tons when Frank was, like, the main character. But when it was, like, Claire being president and, like, it was her season, quote-unquote, it was just so much that it was kind of, like, I couldn't... It was, it was, like, distracting to a point. Um, I think the writing was good regarding when she would break the fourth wall. Um, because it did feel very much like something Claire would say or Claire would do. But it was just so often in the episodes. And it's, like, maybe... I don't know. Maybe they did do it. And I just kind of, like, erased it from my mind that much with Frank. But with Claire, it was just so much. And again, I think the reason I did notice it a little bit more is because it was sort of like campy in a way that the previous seasons weren't. Um, but anyways, I finally finished it and I'm excited to be moving on to a new show. What that show is, not sure, but um, I finished House of Cards. That's basically what I wanted to start out with. Yeah, so regarding like the opening rant slash question portion of this um, this episode, I, I found myself often recently like thinking of a show or a movie and then news about that show or movie happening or like basically being released. Um, yeah, so 
I I found myself thinking a lot about like HBO shows, a lot of like HBO shows, and specifically I think one of them was Big Little Lies, and I don't exactly remember what I was thinking of. Um, I think I was probably just thinking of the first season specifically, but also like how messy um, season two was, and yeah, I I I I was thinking a lot about it, and then um, a couple of days ago, like which was actually a couple of days after this video or whatever was released. So I kind of like missed it. But um, I saw this video and I'll get into it a little bit more because it is part of the news. But I I think it just started making me think a lot about season one of Big Little Lies and how I think tonally it was such a strong show. And it really just everyone was like... Okay, anyway, um, it was just, like, everyone was very, very on top of their game, like, at the top of their game, and I was thinking of season one and how everything kind of came full circle, but everything was very, like, tied together, and, I mean, season two wasn't my favorite, but it was really, really hilarious, and so I guess, like, from that perspective, I still respect season two, but season one was... A really difficult watch at points but again I really liked how everything was like tied together but I, I think the question that I wanted to like open with was uh, oh my god you're gonna hear a lot of talking in the background in this episode anyways um the 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 question that I have is does Big Little Lies season one have a perfect ending that's kind of like what I wanted to like discuss and honestly I do think it does uh was that proper was that a proper sentence I do think it does I think yeah, whatever. I think it does. And, like, I don't know. I don't want to, like, give... I mean, the show's been out for years. Whatever. Like, but I, I think... I don't know. I think there's just something about it that was really, really... Good. And I, I, I think it was really well thought out. And, again, the concept of, like, everything coming together in the end, it was really great. And, um... <sighs> oh my god anyways and like the the women also like having this moment together at the end was really really great and I don't know I think it's a I, it's a show that I always recommend to people but like I think the ending is what really really solidifies it as such a great show um even though the entire thing is really good but yeah I was just thinking of the season one ending and how really great it is okay yeah anyways they're listening to the tv so loud but you know what i'm actually um before i get into like the news like thanks to big little lies i'm actually recording this on a monday when i usually record on tuesday so there's you know from the time that this is like dropped on wednesday there's probably gonna be a lot of news that i'm missing and that just has to do with my schedule and like when i have time to record this but anyways yeah um yeah Big Little Lies season one, what an ending. And the reason I wanted to like kind of talk about Big Little Lies is the fact that um, Nicole Kidman actually confirmed that season three is happening and it's in the works. Um, I actually don't know where she was. I think she was, she was just doing like a talk or something and there was like fans in the audience and stuff. And she was talking about, you know, like some of her favorite things that she's done. And then she started talking about Big Little Lies and how um yeah she was like oh we're gonna be bringing you a third one 
So, like, a third season is in the works, which is crazy. And I've seen a lot of the cast hanging out recently, uh, but I didn't really think much about it. And that's probably why I was thinking of the show a little bit, but I never thought they would be actually um, bringing it back for season three. But anyways, she said that uh, a third season is in the works. And what's interesting is that she was actually about to retire when, you know, like, before Big Little Lies. Um, yeah, in the video, she mentions how... Uh, this was, like, about the time that she had kids and she was thinking of just, like, retiring. And then, like, Reese Witherspoon, who I believe produced Big Little Lies as well as also, like, starring in it. Um, she was like, hey, like, you should do this. And then, so she decided not to retire. She decided to be in Big Little Lies and then it became this huge, huge thing. And um, honestly, like, I think Big Little Lies kind of, like, changed a lot. I mean, for from like the perspective of Nicole it like she won like a ton of awards and even Laura Dern as well but what's interesting about Big Little Eyes is that it kind of shifted the way we think of movie stars being in shows um I mean movie stars have always been in tv shows but it was kind of crazy that like I'm thinking of like the five or six main people that were in the show were also pretty big, like, or, like, associated with movies and were, like, big movie stars. They decided to take this project on. And now, like, after Big Little Lies, it's kind of, like, movie stars are always trying to, like, also move to television and miniseries. Um, which Big Little Lies was supposed to be a miniseries, but whatever. Um, yeah, so I do think it changed the game. And I think Jean-Marc Vallée, um, who, like, unfortunately passed a little while ago, like, that specific kind of drama that he brought to HBO kind of changed the game. And yeah, I don't know. It's just really, it's just a really, really great show when you think of what it changed within the industry. And so, yeah, we're going to be getting a third season. I'm really excited for it. And I hope that it can kind of go back to the I mean, I think it would be hard for it to be, like, the first season just regarding, like, plot. But I am excited for it nonetheless. Um, let's move on to some news about Doom Part 2. So, what's interesting about this film is actually supposed to come out this year, but due to the strikes, they moved it to next year. And, yeah, so it's actually been brought forward from March 15th. So, that was the original date that it was moved to. Um, yeah, so it's been brought forward to March 1st. So, we're going to be getting it about two weeks earlier, which I think is a good thing. Um, the quicker it comes, I think the better it'll be for, you know, people who are excited to watch it um, and, like, have been waiting for it since this year because, you know, it was supposed to be released this year. But anyways, it's going to play on IMAX 70mm screens as well, which is really, really great news as well. Um, I believe Oppenheimer, yeah, Oppenheimer also was a 70mm film. And honestly, like, I'm a fan of Denny Villeneuve. I love anything he does. And he has a really great eye for sci-fi films. Um, you know, he is known for his, like, dramas as well. But there is something about his ability to world build in sci-fi that is something that usually doesn't really happen in modern sci-fis even if this is based on like a quote-unquote ip it's based on a book a franchise whatever he does really have this ability to just world build and remember that world building is integral to sci-fi films 
And so, yeah, um, I'm really excited to see it in 70 millimeter. I, I'll probably go watch that. I know it's a little bit more expensive to watch it in IMAX 70 millimeter, but like, I think it's just the way it should be watched. Um, so I'm excited for it. Dune part two, March 1st, check it out. I'm also really excited about like the Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, um, promo that's going to be happening. And I mean, the cast is just incredible. So I'm excited to see them promote the film. This is kind of some devastating news for folks who really love clay animation and stop motion animation. So Ardman, this is a animation company studio that is known for its claymation and stop motion animation. So yeah, they're responsible for like the Wallace and Gromit films, First Man, Chicken Run, which Chicken Run slaps, Wallace and Gromit slaps, like these are great films and there's just something... I mean, let's be clear, they are very, very British films. Um, so, so you, you know, that comedy really does come through from them. And um, yeah, I guess this is devastating because they are actually running out of clay, which is really weird to, for me to like think of. But um, yeah, they only have enough to make the next Walsh and Gromit film. And the studio that usually provides them with the clay for their films has been shut down and I was thinking of it I'm like well why don't they just use like a different distributor like clay provider and I guess the reason is like it it I don't know they they have to use the people that they think are best and if this clay studio has been shut down um they're gonna be running out and yeah I guess they just want to use the people again that they have worked with previously that they think are good enough and I feel like if they work with someone else they are gonna have to get used to like um yeah they're gonna have to get used to it and it's gonna be like a whole different process working with a different person so as of right now they're running out of clay and they only have enough to make the upcoming Wallace and Gromit film which kind of sucks but um I'm hoping that this can get figured out because um a lot of people really really love these movies and you know maybe silly or like childish to some but for a lot of people again it is like nostalgia but a lot of people just really really love these films and so yeah I'm hoping that I'm hoping that this can get figured out and they can continue making films. I think it's important that I like move on to well not necessarily move on but like it is award season is like creeping up on us but right now like campaign campaigning is like going on even though award season technically hasn't really started campaigning is going on in full force so you're gonna hear a lot of people talking about their films in a capacity that we haven't really before you know before now and um yeah I think I want to talk a little bit about them and um it'll be scattered throughout the new segments but um yeah I'm gonna talk about Barbie first so Margot Robbie who obviously starred in the Barbie film but also produced it yeah, so she's been, you know, campaigning a lot, and um, she was talking about Greta Gerwig, who, of course, directed it and co-wrote it with Noah Baumbach. She, um, she was talking about how, like, Greta Gerwig really, really changed the game, so I'm gonna actually read a quote. And, uh, yeah, so Margot Robbie was talking about Greta Gerwig, and she says, she's literally changed the game. From now on, it's different because of what she's done. Someone is going to come forward with another original idea that requires a big budget with a female lead. They're going to point at Bar to Barbie and say, but that made money. Everyone's going to go, oh, right, we're going to have to green like this. And 
I I really I think it, it was easier for Barbie to get made due to the fact that it was t- tied to IP. But what they did with that film was very original, and it wasn't necessarily just like IP slop. Like it it it, it was a well made film, and it was fun, bright. You know, they a- used actual sets, which uh, feels like a rarity nowadays. But you know, it was like real sets, and you could feel the sort of play. Yeah, there was something very playful about it. And I mean that both like in the fun sense, but also in the fact that there was kind of this like, this sort of like facsimile like nature to it, um, just regarding like the sets. So yeah, like I do agree that it probably was easier for this film to get made. But I also really, really agree that like, with like Margot regarding the fact that Barbie kind of did change the game regarding a female lead with a big budget. These, I, I, I always think about this. Like I constantly think about like the way that, uh, I constantly think about the way that like misogyny has just like warped what gets made and what doesn't get made. And for like think about it, we, we really don't have female action stars, but they're like a billion male action stars. Um, I mean, like Angelina, like a couple of years ago, definitely was an action star, but um, I don't necessarily think she also like regards herself that way. And like even someone like Charlize, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think it is it's definitely something that I think about a lot regarding like big budgets and I'm I'm just throwing the word action out there. It doesn't necessarily have to be an action film, but uh, yeah, we don't necessarily really like have those kind of like action stars uh, that are female. And so um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I think it's really cool that we got this movie that had a female lead that made however much money it made a billion plus um i do think it is really rare that movies with female leads that do make a billion dollars and so i don't know i think it's it was just really cool seeing the audience support this film and this film even though it is based off of you know this again ip it was still very original and people still turned up for it which made me very happy and again i i just hope that we can have like more women in leading roles and um we aren't necessarily I guess like tied down to one genre because that's often what happens with um yeah with with women in leading roles but I'm excited for yeah I'm really I'm really excited for like the future of the industry I know I like talk shit about it a lot and for good reason but I'm hoping that you know we can actually like see change after the Barbie movie and um, I guess like more stories are being told and on a larger scale with a larger budget and with people who really care about the stories they're telling at the helm. This next thing it's I don't really know if it's news but I'm gonna be talking about the film later on because it's in theaters this weekend. So yeah Ridley Scott was talking about Napoleon again. Lots of press going on. Lots of people speaking about their films and you know just like talking about them literally and um I guess building it up for, for, um, 
for what am i talking about for uh, award season i f- forgot what it's called but even though i just spoke about it so really scott um he was talking about napoleon and he was talking about doing a sequence where napoleon kind of like fires cannons at the pyramids in egypt and he's like i don't know if he did that but it was a fast way of saying he took egypt which I kind of find hilarious because a lot of people were talking about how this sort of thing within filmmaking isn't, it's not necessarily dangerous, but they thought they, they were speaking about it, how it's not necessarily the best thing for a filmmaker to do. And my take on that, since everyone is here listening for my amazing opinion on everything film and television, my opinion on that is like, if you watch a film and you're going to take everything as fact, even if it is a biopic or it's about someone, don't, like, that's a you problem. Like, I I don't know. Like, you have to understand that this is art and there's going to be some creative liberties taken, even though you might think this is a stupid decision. It's, it's art. Like, there are going to be tons of creative liberties taken. So if you want to learn about what happened, like maybe read a book by a historian or like something that is peer reviewed, etc. Don't necessarily turn to a film made by an artist who wants to have a little fun, you know? Um, So yeah, that's my take on that. Um, Really, Scott is funny. I don't know. That's all I can say. Moving on to some um, sequel news, let's call it that. So Creed 4 is actually in the works. Michael B. Jordan is, of course, going to be returning to star in the film, but he's also going to return into the director's chair. So, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the Creed movies. I think I think the third one was a little bit, like, the pacing of it kind of, like, took me out of the film, but I don't think they're necessarily bad films. And, uh, yeah, like, I think, I, I think they are better, like, from a creative standpoint than the Rocky films like when you look at the Rocky films and then you look at the Creed films like holistically the Creed films are better but I also don't I'm not a big fan of sequels and I'm not necessarily a big fan of reboots etc like I like originality but the thing is with with um you know like when it comes to sequels I don't necessarily think you can say like the sequels are always going to be worse than the original that's not the truth at all however you know I think if they can bring a lot of should say specifically if Michael can bring a lot of the direction that he brought in the, from the third one into the fourth one I think that'll be good because he he has a real knack for like directing um the fight sequences that I really really enjoyed and I think a lot of people spoke about them highly but yeah, like Erwin uh, Winkler, he is the producer. He says that they aim to begin pre-production in a year. And they say, or like he's saying that they have a really, really good story connected to the fourth film. So yeah, we got confirmation that Creed 4 is in the works. Speaking a little bit more about like campaigning and all that, Christopher Nolan was actually talking about Oppenheimer. And he was talking about the IMAX results for the film. He called them extraordinary and he said something along the lines of like, as of last weekend, so when he was doing this interview, we became the third highest grossing IMAX film in America after Star Wars and Avatar. For a film about J. Robert Oppenheimer, it was extraordinary. You know, like, that that really puts into perspective how great of a filmmaker Christopher Nolan is. And this is coming from someone who doesn't love a lot of his stuff um, because, you know, like, I am obviously a better director than he is and I know what I'm saying more than he does um so yeah um 
it's it's it is really great like I do I do admit like for some reason I don't know I honestly like don't I I understand the whole like Barbenheimer of it all but it's kind of crazy to think about a film like Oppenheimer making as much money as it did specifically in the IMAX kind of like portion of it I really do think it just goes to show that like if you give the audiences some like a reason to watch something in these special formats like IMAX they will show up and obviously a film about the creation of a bomb is is gonna be something that I think people will be drawn to and they will want to see it and hear it in IMAX etc and they will want to experience experience it in a IMAX theater like I totally understand that and um I think the fact that it was this type of film, like this was the subject matter of the film, but it was also directed by someone like Christopher Nolan, I think, yeah, I think that's just what really, really drew people in. I also want to move on and talk about some first new looks that we got. So we got new looks at Donald Glover and Maya Erskine in the Mr. and Mrs. Smith remake for Amazon Prime. So this is going to be on Prime Video starring February 2nd of next year. And yes, we just got some new looks at the show. And I think originally people know that this was going to star Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Maybe you didn't know that. I don't know why I said most people will know, but I think she still has a capacity in the creation of the show, like behind the scenes, but she's not starring in it. Uh, Maya overtook, um, yeah, the role that Phoebe Waller-Bridge was supposed to be playing and um yeah I mean I don't necessarily know how this is gonna go because like yeah Mr. and Mrs. Smith is a funny like sexy film and I I think that yeah like it is known for being a funny entertaining film but with these types of people involved in the making of it there's gonna be such a specific type of comedy that i don't necessarily know how it's gonna go with audiences but anyways we got first looks at it it is going to be releasing february 2nd and if that's your type of thing you should check it out let's move on to some news actually about musical theater i don't often talk about that type of stuff on here but today i will be for good reason so as we all remember, uh, The Queen's Gambit was one of the biggest shows of all time at one point. Everyone, I think everyone watched it. Like, I don't, I don't think I know anyone who didn't. But the point is, is that it is actually going to be adapted into a stage musical. I think there was already news regarding this. But yeah, it's going to be adapted into a stage musical. Um, however, I don't think we knew that Mitski was being involved in the project and she's actually going to develop the music which i think anything that involves mitski is kind of like um yeah uh everyone like she has a really like solid fan base who like supports her stuff and she has very passionate fans and so i'm excited to see how they react to this but above all else like i just don't when i think of mitski i don't think of like musical theater like adaptation like a, a musical and so I'm interested in seeing how she takes her kind of um her kind of like music and what she is known for and kind of yeah I guess like produces it in musical 
and of course like musicals can have different genres of music during their you know production however i'm really interested in seeing how mitski writes the music for this and you know follows the storyline of beth Harmon, etc like that's what i'm really really excited for but yeah i'm excited to see like how she works with the kind of music she is known for and adapts it into the queen's gambit musical I'm going to end with some news about a film that I believe premiered at Sundance. I think that's, I think that's the truth. But anyways, we actually got the first trailer for Sometimes I Think About Dying. And what's interesting about this is that when I looked up the film, they immediately gave me like a suicide crisis hotline number. And I had to like, I had to think and I was like, oh shit. Um, oh yeah, I have to put movie at the end of this or else they're going to think something's wrong with me. Um, so, so anyways, um, I, 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 I watched the trailer and I've heard really good things about this, but I think what's really interesting about this, this, this film is Daisy Ridley's performance. So Daisy Ridley is the star of the film and yeah, it's going to be in theaters this January 26th, so January 6th, 2024. And yeah, so it follows Daisy Ridley's character, who is an office worker who keeps to herself. She's really like invested in her job, but then she meets a coworker who, I guess she starts like a relationship with him, but uh, he, you know, he tries to get her to open up more and he tries to learn a more about her. And yeah, that's what the film is about. And I think it's a really interesting title. Again, uh, put if you want to watch the trailer, put movie at the end of your Google search or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I really, really, I don't know. I think one thing about this film that's really intriguing to me is the fact that Daisy really is starring in it. You know, like, say what you want about those Star Wars sequels or whatever you want to call them. But I think her performance in those films really was like, integral to them and she really was the heart of those films and I I know that like a lot of people don't often associate good performances with something regarding like a franchise role but you know like she she was acting she was acting and I think it's just really nice to see her acting in something outside of you know that type of thing um and I've heard really good reviews for her performance in this film and that's what's really intriguing to me and I'm, I'm most likely going to go watch it when it's released in theaters just because I think I'm excited to see her star in a project like this. Well, um, this is the part of the episode where I talk about our we. I usually say we, I don't know why, but anyways, um, I usually uh, talk about something that I want to mention, a show or a movie, something I hate, love, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just whatever I want to talk about, I will talk about. And so I wanted to talk about a show that kind of, it didn't necessarily do well. I don't think a lot of people watched it. It got canceled after one season. So I think that kind of uh, explains how well that did. But there was something about it that kind of drew me and my friends into it. I don't necessarily know why, but I think all my friends watched it. Yeah, so I 
I remember this kind of being like a monocultural moment for me and my friends because although not many other people were watching it, we all were and we would literally like go to school and just talk about it and I don't know, I think a lot of people were just tuned into it. I think we were in grade 11 when this show dropped, I think, and yeah, we were just like looking for something to watch on Netflix and we all kind of tuned into it when it, as soon as it like dropped and we were really, really interested about it and we saw it on social media. So I'm not saying like no one else watched it. It just like, it had like, I think it really did have sort of this like cult following and me and my friends were part of it. So this, this, this is kind of just like a shout out to the show that kind of brought me and my friends together regarding, you know, our media consumption habits. And it was just cool to have that that same experience with me and my friends. So the show that I want to talk about is called Everything Sucks and you're probably familiar with it, you probably know it, but you might not have watched it. One thing to know about Everything Sucks is that it is set in a real life town called Boring, Oregon, which is crazy. Like, why, why is it called Boring? But anyways, it's set in Boring, Oregon, and it, it takes place in 96. So technically, it's a period piece. But yeah, it just takes place in Boring, Oregon, set in 96, and it follows a group of teenagers at the fictional Boring High School um, as they are, you know, navigating life, uh, being teenagers, you know, the rifts that they have with their friends. It's looking at mental health, uh, sexuality, growing up, and they also uh, are trying to make a movie together. So they're like a bunch of like film nerds or theater kids and they're trying to make a movie together. That's kind of what it focuses on in the later episodes of the season. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed the show and I know I know a lot of my friends kind of had like mixed feelings about it, but I think it was just cool that we all watched it at the same time. So yeah, the show is created by Ben York Jones and Michael Mohan. So I think what these creators did is they kind of took a lot of the tropes from like 90s media. And I'm sure this is like during the time that they grew up and they were teenagers. So it's kind of just like a lot of it is nostalgia, like, a lot of it is referential to the 90s, obviously, because it takes place then, but it kind of is, like, an ode to all the, like, teen media and, like, the cultural phenomenons that were, like, a thing. They really, really did, um, yeah, they really, really took that idea and, like, ran with it, the, the ode to the 90s and when they grew up. So, some of the stars include Jahai Diallo-Winston, who plays the, I guess we could call him the lead, or the co-lead. His name was Luke. Peyton Kennedy plays Kate, who I believe is, like, also the co-lead. I, I think we could consider a co-lead. And then Sydney Sweeney. So, yeah, Sydney Sweeney plays Emmeline. So, this is, like, pre-Euphoria fame. And, yeah, I think it's just really, really cool because when I was watching the show, I was like, there's something about this girl that, like, she's probably going to be huge and, like, be a hu huge star. And I I'm just, like, glad that I watched the show when I did. Not to be like, oh, I, I was here before you guys. It's like, well, no. Like, I, I think it's just cool that I got to see, like, one of her earlier performances, like, as soon as it came out. And I don't think it can be understated how obsessed I was with this show um, when it came out. I, I watched it and I actually ended up re-watching it. Like, the thing is, I was, I think, like, 
16 or 17 when it came out so obviously this would have been like right up my alley but I don't know I was just like really really taken with the characters and I think again like the 90s of it all was really also intriguing to me but um I, I think a lot of the characters were really well written and they were teenagers like a lot of them made shitty decisions and a lot of them like fucked up but that was the beauty of it that I found so I watched it when it first came out and then I think a little while later I watched it again I literally had oh this is so humiliating but I had like um I think like one of my like headers or like profile pictures on Twitter for a while was like Kemaline and that's Kate and Emmeline anyways um but <laughs> it was just like it was like kind of um I don't know, I think back at that time and I look at it with like a lot of fondness just because although the show did get cancelled and I was upset about that, I, I still hold the show with like high regard and and yeah, like I I think it was one of the first times that I held like a special place in my heart or like I felt a deep connection to a piece of media. So I don't know. I think it was just a nice that I got to share that moment with my friends while also having like a personal connection to the show. Yeah, if you want to check out the show, you should. But again, it only has one season, unfortunately. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm glad that it, it got canceled. But like, if it didn't, like, I feel like Sydney Sweeney would have probably been tied to it. But she has such a cool career now. So I don't know. I guess it's it's something good came out of it for her. Well, this is the part of the episode where I talk about films that are going to be theaters and what you should check out. Again, my laptop is going crazy. So whatever. I'm gonna have to make this quick because my laptop is not really cooperating. Saltburn, Napoleon, they're in theaters this weekend. Check out both of them. Check out none of them. Whatever. Look them up. Saltburn, maybe go see Saltburn because we need more messy movies. And I've heard mixed things about it, but who cares? Napoleon heard mixed things about it. Who cares? Just if if they interest you, check it out. Saltburn, um, set in England, mid two thousands, um. A university student goes to his classmate classmates um family estate and then napoleon it's about napoleon go check them out anyways bye